you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to keep them close today. Uh, usually, my manner of message is to stay in one place and, and you can just leave your Bible open there, but not so today. We're going to scour God's Word and look at several points in which I want to bring to bear uh, a teaching from God's Word about prayer. Now, except for the past few weeks, led in a different direction in my heart, previous to that, we've been emphasizing prayer. We need to be a church that's founded on prayer. I believe God responds to prayer. And we need to be a church that is petitioning God, bombarding the throne of heaven on behalf of your family, my family, and this place in this community. But there are some things about prayer that I have not elaborated on. And I, and I want to use this message and we could go, we could take every one of these points and preach a message in and of itself, but I, I don't think that is as necessary uh, as, as, I don't think that's necessary. But I do think, I want to bring them to light. They are so transparent, easy to see. I want to bring them to light and put them in front of you. Now if you want to turn somewhere in your Bible, I want you to turn to two places. These are two points of the message that we'll bring out. There are others to follow, so keep your message, uh, keep your Bible handy. I want you to turn, you can turn to Isaiah chapter number 59. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, and then also Luke 18. And we'll look at several verses in there, probably 1 through I think 8. But Hold your place in there because we're going to be skipping around at different locations. And I encourage you, if you've got a pen and a piece of paper, to jot some notes down. Maybe these six points, we're going to be a six-point message today. Maybe jot them down and the associated text with them for further study. You can do that. But I want to point out something particular today. One of my favorite preachers is an evangelist by the name of Wilbur Hurt. Does anybody, any of y'all have ever heard of Wilbur Hurt, besides me. Okay, nobody's heard of him. He is a, an evangelist from the Indiana area around Indianapolis. And he, my pastor, Ken Trivet, used to have him in every year. And man, Brother Wilbur Hurt, he, he just knew how to speak to people's hearts. And, and, and my, my pastor brought him in under the pretense of a revival, hoping to have and spark revival in our church. And, and Brother Hurt did come and he preached on revival often. But another aspect of his ministry is that of prayer. And I believe that these two go hand in hand. Uh, uh, Brother Hurt would often point to the fact that revival has a lot to do with prayer. They go hand in hand with each other. You won't find one without the other. And so he preached a lot on the subject of prayer. And in one of those messages that he preached on prayer, he told a very pointed story about prayer. He told the story of his days as a pastor. He was early in his ministry, pastor of a couple of churches before he went into the itinerant ministry. And he told the story of when he was pastoring a church. He'd just come there to this church a few months earlier. And the church was spiritually and financially in a bad way. He put it this way. We had to have a miracle in that church. It was so bad spiritually and financially. They were desperate for God to work a miracle among them. And so, uh, Brother Wilbur Hurt, when he came into that church and took the leadership as far as the pastor's concerned, 
God led him to preach on nothing else but prayer. As a matter of fact, when he looked back over the five years that he spent at that church, he had preached over 75 messages on the subject of prayer. And, and so here he is, he's been preaching on prayer for several months, and after one of the services, as he's greeting folks that were leaving, a fella came up to him and asked to have a word real briefly with the Brother Hurt. Now this guy was described as a... Uh, not a member of the church, but a, a, an attender. A well, he, he attended that church very regularly. And so, and the fella was kind of outspoken. The fella uh, seemed to be somewhat blunt, and, and, and pastor, the pastor, Brother Hurd, had, had run ins with him in the past, somewhat confrontational and argumentative about certain theological subjects, Bible subjects. And so, uh, the man asked to talk to Wilbur Hurd, and Wilbur Hurt said, you know, if you can just wait till I see these folks and see them out, then we'll go down to my office and, and, and talk together about what you want to talk about. So, so after everyone had left, Brother Wilbur Hurt led the man down into his study. And as he walked into the pastor's study, flipped on the light and invited the man to sit in, in a chair across the desk from him. And so Wilbur Hurt sat down and, and began to probe what the man's question is. And the man began to say bluntly, this is what he said. He said, well, I really don't know how to put this. I don't want to offend you. But yeah, you've been preaching on prayer around here since you got in here. And here's my conclusion about prayer. Prayer simply doesn't work. Now you can imagine as a pastor who's been preaching on prayer for several months, for somebody that has been attending and listening to those messages to come back and say that prayer doesn't work would be disconcerting. It caught him off, caught him off guard in, in, in his testimony and the audio that I heard on this message. He said, you know, I kind of breathed a prayer that God would give me wisdom on how to respond. And he said, he said to the fellow in response, am I understanding you correctly? You mean for me to understand that you think that we may as well have not even prayed over these last few months. These days of prayer and fasting and waiting on God are simply a waste of time. The man responded. He said, yes. He said, I've tried what you've said over the last several months and it has simply not worked. Well, after he said those and a few reflective thoughts as he sat there in silence, Brother Hurt asked a question to the man sitting across from him. He asked him this. He said, when we came into this pastor's study and I reached over and flipped on the light switch, what if when I did that, the light didn't come on? That we were both sitting here in this office standing in the dark. Would you deduce by that light switch not coming on that electricity doesn't work. That electricity has failed. The man said, no sir. If you flipped on that light switch and the light hadn't come on, a sensible person wouldn't say that electricity doesn't work. And then Wilbur Hurt responded, well, what would a sensible person have said? The man quietly responded, seeming to understand where the pastor was going, responded this way. A sensible person would say that it's disconnected. That it's not electricity's fault. There is a disconnect. 
There's something that is not properly connected. There is a, a loss of conductivity. You know, over the last several weeks, I've been speaking about prayer. And, and maybe you, maybe you've sat there and you've listened and you've, you've set yourself to pray. You've said, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin to seek God. I'm going to set aside a specific day. I want God to do something in my life in my family's life, in the life of my church. And Brother Ronnie has insisted that I, that I be earnest, that I, that I go after God in prayer. And so you've set out to do that. And, but honestly, you've, over the last few weeks, you step back and you say, I really don't see anything happening. Nothing seems to be going on. I want you to know that the assurances of answered prayer in the Bible are true. The ones that I've preached about, the ones that state that God will answer our prayers, that will give us peace that passes all understanding, that God will meet the challenges of our lives if we call on Him in prayer. I want you to know something. They're all true. God means what He says. God keeps His Word. The Bible clearly teaches that God answers prayer. Psalm 50, 15. And call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Isaiah 33, Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. God answers prayer. Even from the lips of our Lord Jesus, there is a confidence we can take in what Jesus said in John 16, 24. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. That's Jesus' words. That's Jesus' promise to His disciples. Ask in my name. Notice, and it will be, uh, be, you'll receive. John 14, 13. Whatsoever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. But at the same time, even though these promises are true, God the Father makes them, makes them, God the Son reaffirms them, God answers prayer. At the same time, there are passages of Scripture in the Word of God that speaks to the obstruction of our prayers. Matters that can be compared to like plaque in the artery. You know, that's what it is inside the veins around your heart. That's what the back, background of a heart attack is. It's, that, it's those fatty deposits. It's, the, it's that plaque that runs through the veins and sticks to the veins that constricts the vein and keeps flow out. Or it's like a pipeline with obstructions in it. You, oh, nothing's more horrible than a, a field line that's gotten clogged. You, oh, what a mess. It, you, there's obstructions in there. It won't flow through. It's blocked. Or maybe it's debris in a roadway. You, you think about the storms that we've had and trying to drive after the storms. There's limbs and, and debris and things blown into the road. There are things that can happen in our spiritual lives that are very similar. The Bible teaches that there are things on our part that disconnect our line of prayer to God. So when we set ourselves to pray, we need to be aware of these and do all that we can to clear, the, to clear the way to pray. And that's what I want to talk to you. It's been sitting there for an hour and a half while I did my introduction. I want to talk to you this morning on clearing the way to pray. Like I said, there's six points in this outline. And you know, don't be afraid of a six-point message. I know I preach an hour and a half sometimes. 
don't, don't, be, don't be afraid of a six-point message because six-point messages go faster, okay? They go faster. You, you ever get a two-point message, you're in for trouble. I'm telling you right now, you're in for trouble. We get six points this morning. I'll go over them quickly. Listen to me very closely. Number one, I think the one thing, the first of all, the first thing we must acknowledge in clearing the way to pray is that we must clear away ungodly praying ungodly praying. Look with me at these passages of Scripture. I told you to turn to Isaiah uh, chapter 59 verses 1 through 3. But look at, with me at Isaiah 59. The prophet speaks to the people and says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot say, or His ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have, separate, have, a, have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Also Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. 1 Timothy 2, 8. I desire, Paul speaking to the, uh, the young pastor Timothy. I desire that in every place that the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now, do you pick up a theme in these three verses about what is being said here? When it comes to prayer, there is a distinct and clear disconnect when it comes to sin in the life of a believer. Now, there is the sense in which every one of us are drenched in sin every day. Every day, we fail God. We disobey God. Even as a believer in Jesus Christ, saved and on our way to heaven, there is the reality that we do sin. We do transgress God every single day. Sins of commission. Of those things that we do, and we know it is clear in God's Word, we are not to do. You know what I'm talking about. That little shading of the truth to maybe cover up your inadequacies just a tad you know as well as I do the Holy Spirit's all over you you know you just lied to that person you didn't you weren't being honest with them those sins of commission but then there's also those sins of omission the things that you did not do that you should have done no when you come to sins of omission I just want to throw up my hands I, 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 I am I am so guilty, I am so sinful of not doing the things that I know to be right. What did James, I think it was James that said, He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. I mean, that's just another layer. We are sin-soaked creatures. That's why as part of our prayer regiment, it immediately, I mean the first off, God forgive me, cleanse me. God, forgive me of my inadequacies. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my shortcomings. Forgive me of my disobedience. Forgive me uh, for, my, uh, for, for where I've not done what you've asked me to do. There is that cleansing that needs to be happening. An admission of sin and repentance of it. But what I want to emphasize here is I believe that we can see what causes the major discontinuity in our praying is harboring sin. Through the prophet Isaiah, God is telling His people, my people, is my power is not diminished. He said, my ear's not heavy. My, my hand's not shortened. 
I'm just as mighty as I've always been. I'm just as keen in my hearing as I've always been. But there is something wrong. There's nothing wrong with my power. There's nothing wrong with my hearing. It is that your sin has brought a separation between you and your God. No doubt this people who at this time had turned into idolatry, they were dabbling in false gods, and maybe they, they tiptoed between the tulips, between Saturday and, and, and every other day of the week. And Saturday they would do the habitual offerings to the Lord, the cultural religion of the day. They'd give their little offerings, say their little prayers. But Monday through, Monday through Friday, Sunday through Friday, they would go about their business and, and tip the hat to the other gods and, and play the odds, hedge the bet, see which one was the best. And no doubt while they were doing this idolatry, they're saying, hey, I've been praying to God and God ain't been answering me. He's no different than any other God. Why? Why? He isn't even up there. He's, no, he's just as powerless as these other stone gods. They say this when the God of heaven is just as mighty as He was the day that He brought them out of Egypt's land with a high hand. They're saying that it's useless. Don't pray to Him. Psalm 66, 18. I read it earlier uh, where it talks about harboring sin. I'll go back. It says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Here we find uh, the psalmist, uh, the inspired psalmist says that if I cherish iniquity, if I take up for it, if I sympathize with it, if I excuse it, the Lord will not hear me. Church, uh, Spurgeon in his Treasury of David said about these words, If, having seen it to be there, I continue to gaze upon it without aversion, if I cherish it, if I side glance, if I, if I have a side glance of love toward it, if I excuse it, if I palate it. Oh man, what a language. If I give a side glance of love toward my sin, David the psalmist is saying, God's not going to hear my prayer, my petition. I believe this is speaking of not necessarily our daily fallings and failings, our frailties. He's talking about that pet sin. That, that sin that, as the Hebrew author says, so easily besets us. It, it throws us off track. It's the sin. Here it is. It's the sin that when you think about doing something about it, or when I'm up here talking about that sin... Your inner lawyer. How many of you got an inner lawyer that steps up? You know, I, I, every one of you, don't you grin at me and not raise your hand. You got that inner lawyer, you know, that steps to the fore. When, when, when the spotlight is on your sin and your problem, that inner lawyer says, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. I, we, we, can we, we can talk about this. I, and he'll bring out the most eloquent argument for your fornication, for your pornography, for your gossip. Well, I'm just sharing. I'm just sharing prayer requests. We all need to be a people of prayer requests, and so I, 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 I'm just. Or you blame it on somebody. Well, my wife or my husband. You know, they don't do this. Or well, well, my employer. They're really not paying me. Uh, they're really not paying me what I'm really worth, and so therefore, if I skim a little bit off the top, I, I think that's only 
That's that inner lawyer talking. That's somebody trying to defend or to regard sin. Think back with me to the the book of Joshua and Jericho. Do you remember Jericho was taken? The walls came crumbling down. and, And God said, all of the spoils of Jericho are to go to me. Well, they gladly did that and they hopped on down the road and they saw the little town of Ai and Joshua said, we don't need everybody to go fight against Ai. Let's just send a handful down there and we'll give them the whooping of the lifetime. And what what happened is they went down there and came back with their tail tucked between their legs because Ai defeated them. Joshua in response to this falls to his knees and said, God, you told me everywhere I put my foot in this land uh, that it's mine it's going to be mine you're going to let me take it you're going to go before me and God said get off your knees I mean literally you read it get up don't pray don't say another word there's sin in the camp there's sin in the camp and you know the story don't you Achan Achan found that pieces of gold that Babylonian garment nobody was looking and he took it and hid it in his tent and no doubt he knew, he knew nobody was supposed to. He probably amened when they said, don't touch anything. Oh yeah, no, I didn't touch nothing. But every night he would uncover that gold. I could see it gleaming in that campfire light inside, inside that hut as the, as the gold gleamed and the, the beauty of the garment. He dreamed about the day he could wear that garment. He, he regarded, he cherished that sin. And God said, listen, you're not going to pray to me into that sin's dealt with it's the dealing of sin listen if there is hidden sin in your life that little pet sin you tried to hide you need to know that you can't treat cobras like bunny rabbits cobras don't behave and that's exactly what sin is Cobras don't mind you. They grow bigger until they begin to threaten you and take over your space. You can't treat cobras like bunny rabbits and expect them to behave. You can't keep sin hidden because God has a not so funny way of taking our sin and putting it in front of the eyes of everybody. All you got to do is read the newspapers from time to time. You can see it happen. God knows about it. And God can reveal it. You, and you might as well forget it when it comes to praying. If you're not going to be honest with God about your sin, about the thing that God right now is pointing out in your own heart and you know what it is, I don't have to go down to a laundry list. Holy Spirit, if you're saved by God's grace, Holy Spirit has a funny way of bringing to mind exactly what I'm talking about. If I hadn't rung your bell this morning, then He has a good way of doing it. If you got that hidden sin in your life, you might as well forget it when it comes to praying. Because your sins have separated me, and separated God from your prayers. You can't hold dirty hands in prayer to God and expect Him to answer with anything other than silence. Repent. Make it right. Do it about face. You know what it is God's putting His finger on. Make it right today. Because if we're going to be a praying church, we can't have this obstruction in our way. we got to deal with our sin. we got to get it out of the way. We cannot afford a separation. We need a miracle. 
We need God to do what only He can do in this place. And the only way that is can happen is if I do that and you do that, we clear out the way and do not have our, our praying and our, our, our praying being sinful praying. Notice second of all, we not only see ungodly praying, but we also see unforgiving praying. Mark eleven twenty four through 25. Jesus is speaking here. He says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you, uh, that you have received it, and it will be yours. Listen to this. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Now I know this is in, in the, the direct line of forgiveness of sin. If we don't forgive others, God won't forgive our sin. But it is in the context of prayer. Here in this passage of Scripture, our Lord Jesus is teaching on that subject of prayer. And in this context, He instructs that we are to forgive others before God will answer our prayers. You want to find something that blocks the road of prayer? That disconnects our connection with God when it comes to prayer? It is unforgiveness. The clear teaching is that if we harbor unforgiveness, unkindness, if there is ill will, if there is spite in our hearts, if we have allowed malice and bitterness to take root, God says, no, I won't hear you. I'm not going to entertain your request. Unforgiveness is an obstruction in the pathway of prayer. There's no other way to say it. When we refuse to forgive others, which in reality is expressly a sin against God. Go see point A or 1 at the beginning of the message. It is a sin against God for us not to forgive other people. When we do that, we have let bitterness take hold of our heart. As much as we might not like to admit it, the Bible teaches that our relationships horizontally have a profound effect on our relationship vertically with our God. I, I didn't bring it in this message, but God brings it to mind right now. But First Peter, I believe chapter number 4, talks about husbands and talking about the way you treat your wives. And he talks about the way you treat your wife has everything in the world to do with the hindrances of your prayer to God expressly. The marital relationship can hinder our prayer life. And that goes further in this passage when he talks about forgiving others. In the Sermon on the Mount, although he uses it in the context of worship, Jesus said, if you come, if I, if you come to bring your offering to God and remember that your brother has something against you, you stop right there and you leave your gift and go be reconciled with your brother. You remember that passage in the Sermon on the Mount? If you come bring your offering, you have all against your brother, you leave it there, you go make things right with your brother, and you come back and then you make your offering to God. There's an immediacy. Do it right now in, the, in this directive. Put it down. Paul even said, don't let the sun go down on your anger when it comes to conflicts with other people. You want to know why? You want to know why Paul said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath? I love this. This past week I was listening to a preacher by the name of Ron Dunn. Evangelist died years ago. Just a powerful man of God. A lot like Brother Wilbur Hurt. 
but he was preaching on uh, that passage where Jesus said, leave your offering and go be reconciled to your brother. And he said this about bitterness. He said, bitterness grows best in dark places. That's why Paul said, don't let the sun go down in your wrath because bitterness has a tendency to grow in darkness. I immediately thought, I immediately thought of black mold. You ever had that in your house? Maybe there's some kind of wet spot you didn't realize. It sat there for several months and years. And you peel back a piece of paneling and behind there is just that black mold. That, that black mold. Listen, bitterness is the black mold of the soul. It grows best in dark and hidden and long-kept rooms of resentment. It blackens and destroys everything it touches. And eventually, if you leave it long enough, it kills and strangles and chokes out life of the person that it's on and the people around them. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and it may, uh, and by that many be defiled. You know how black mold does. You ever had a piece of curtain or something went and get black mold on it? You can't wash it out. It's stained. It, it's, 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 it's messed up. It's ruined. Uh, that phrase there, uh, be, many become defiled. It carries the picture of an inkwell, a black inkwell being thrown up against a white garment on a wall and it explodes and puts that black ink all over the garment and staining it, indive- in, in, uh, indelibly staining it, ruining it. It gets everywhere. I heard one preacher that says that bitterness is like the skunk emotion. Nobody likes to be around a skunk when it's gone. Everybody, everybody wants to retreat and get away. Listen, you're, if you're living in bitterness, the people close to you know it. All too well, my wife knows my bitternesses, and every time I get near it, reminds me of them. Bitternesses that need to be dealt with in my own prayer life. My resentments toward other people. God's put my finger, His finger on me today, not just you. Bitterness is in our hearts. I ask you, as I have been preaching this at this point, has the Holy Spirit been bringing to mind someone that you have wronged or someone that has wronged you? This may be why it seems like you're just spinning your wheels when it comes to prayer. It might be that you need to make something right with someone right after this service. Or matter of fact, I was listening to that Ron Dunn message and he was saying, what kind of chaos would we have in our churches if, 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 if all the members come to that text and did exactly what God told us to do? And we closed our notes. The pastor closed his notes and said, i got to go make something right. And got down with Mr. Deacon down here and say, I'm so sorry, I've wronged you. I've made things wrong. And somebody over here gets over there and makes something right with him. Somebody jumps in the car and goes down to the neighborhood to the neighbor and makes something right with him. What kind of chaos it would happen? So much chaos that revival might break out among us. Here he's talking about bitterness that may that may clog that path of prayer. That may clog that line of prayer. Good grief, I lost my place in my notes. We may be here all day. He's talking about that unforgiving prayer. Notice thirdly, we, we talked about unforgiving prayer and ungodly praying. I want to talk to you about uncharitable praying. Uncharitable praying. One slight verse, but so Uh, So insightful is James 4.3. Listen to what he says. You ask 
and you do not receive. Isn't that what we're talking about? Asking and not getting what we ask for. What does he say the problem is? Because you ask wrongly and spend it on your passions. The half-brother Lord Jesus plainly and expressly points out the simple aspect of our emphasis today in one verse of Scripture. Now, I'll not spend a lot of time here, but God knows our heart when we're praying. He knows our motives when we're praying. It's interesting to note that the word passions here are more commonly remembered in the, in the King James Version. The lusts that are mentioned there is the Greek word hedon. Hedon, which gives us our, our familiar word hedonistic. When you, see, when you hear the word, he's a hedonist. He's hedonistic. What, what comes to mind? What comes to some, some people that just fornicate outside of marriage, they just do whatever they want to do sexually. Uh, some, some person that has a complete disregard for any kind of biblical morality. They are, a, they are hedonistic. They're, uh, they're a hedonist in their activity. But here James tells the church, listen, he tells the church that the reason their prayers aren't being answered is because they're praying like a bunch of hedonists. The things they're asking God for are just to satisfy their own passions. Your only concern is for your own pleasure, your own appetite. This would be like, a, for example, let me just give some examples. This would be like a, a, single, a single man dating an attractive woman. It may be more apropos when I, now that I think about it with our young son here. Uh, it, may be, it may be that this, this young man, he's dating an attractive woman, and he may go to his bedside at night and, pl- and pray, Oh God, please make her my wife. She's so beautiful. She makes me feel oh, so bubbly and wonderful inside. I just got to have her for my wife. Is he praying for God's will, or is he praying for his own passion? Or maybe the woman that prays for her drunken husband uh, so that he might be saved to stop being an embarrassment to her reputation and spending all their money on booze. Or could it be like the man who prays for a promotion, a raise at work so that he can buy a bigger house, a nicer car, have a better standing in the workplace, have some authority behind his name. Amen. Have manager on that label. You wouldn't be, you'd be surprised how many people just want to see manager on a label. They don't care if you raise their money or not. Manager would be perfect. That's what they want to see. It is a prayer to God to consume on their own lust. Now, is it, is it wrong for a single man to pray for God to give him a wife? He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. In, the, in my T.H. King James, it's way down in here. He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. It's not wrong. Is it wrong for a wife to pray for a drunk, uh, uh, to pray for her drunk husband to get saved and stop drinking? Absolutely not. Is it wrong to pray for a promotion or an increase in salary or an increase in position? No. But mixed with the wrong motives makes for a prayer that is, James says, amiss. You'd miss the target. It'll never get answered. Why? Because God sees your motivations in prayer. When we come to the moment of prayer, it is time to lay down all pretenses. 
You're not going to, when you're in your bedroom or at your table or wherever you pray in your closet and you bow your head, your prayer, your pastor's not there. You're not going to impress me with the way you pray. You're not, your wife probably isn't there. You're not going to, or your husband not there. You're not going to impress him with your prayers. It's about time you just kind of got, just kind of got real good honesty with God when you're in that moment. Because all your flowery pretense and trying to decorate your true motives in some other subterfuge, it's not going to work with God. He sees the motives. He sees why you want what you want. When it comes to this point, it's time for each and every one of us to do some heart searching. This point of uncharitable, or we could say selfish praying, is so important. And I believe this goes hand in hand with my next point. Not only do we see uh, uncharitable praying, but we see unscriptural praying. John, 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Listen to what John says. This is the other coin of the selfish or the uncharitable praying. Look at what he says. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that if He hears us in, in whatever we ask, we know that we will have the request that we have asked Him for. Here in this phrase, according to His will, stands out like a sore thumb. In these verses, the Apostle John is extolling the fact. I can see him encouraging the little children of his church. We have our requests from God. Ask according to, your, to God's will and He'll give it to you. He's about to walk the pews in the fact that God answers prayer but according to His will. That's the controlling factor in our praying. Unlike James 4.3 passage, this is a prayer according to God's will, not my own. In his book, The Tests of Life, Robert Law wrote this, Prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. I've always heard that, that um, some gas engines and maybe even some propane. You ever had, I don't know if many of you play golf, you ever go to that golf range that's got the old propane golf cart? And... Uh, Man, I'm telling you, those things have the potential of going real fast. And buddy, you'll, you'll think, oh man, it's got some juice to it. And you'll lay down on it trying to get to that par five and get to the end of it. And, and, and what happens, it'll only go so fast, you know. It, it'll, it'll only go, it may take off like a rocket, but there, about a, a few seconds into it, it slows down. It's because it's got a governor on it. A governor keeps you from being reckless. It keeps, you, it keeps you from being out of control. It keeps it within the realm of possibility of you being hurt or damaged in that car. Listen, in our prayer life, the governing principle to keep me from uncharitable and selfish praying should be the thought of laying my prayer requests over the will of God and seeing if there are any points of alignment between the two. You say, well, Brother Ronnie, how do I know the will of God? I understand. I understand that there is a personal will of God for all of our lives. God personally has something for each and every one of us to follow. 
something subjectively that we discover in our walk with the Lord. But overall, the best way to guarantee that your prayers are are to be answered is to pray according to the will of God. And where can we find the direct, express will of God? God's Word. Reading God's Word instructs us on how we communicate with God. You imagine how difficult it would be to have a conversation with someone who one person speaks on one subject to you and then you respond in some other subject <laughs> and, a comp- and sentences completely out of context. What a bumbled and stupid conversation that would be. Listen, a lot of our praying is a lot like that with God. God speaks to us from His Word. He tells us and shows us where we should go, how we should live. And when we go to pray, instead of responding to what He says, we've got our own little agendas over here that we need to take care of, that we want to talk about, instead of staying in context with what He's telling us. You see, uh, we have uh, uh, these, these ideas. We can, we can pray in the will of God. It's the birthright of the child of God to pray for what God has clearly revealed from His Word with the expectation that He will answer. I may not be able to pray for filet... I knew I was going to get it wrong. I may not be able to pray for filet mignon to eat every night, but I can pray that God would give me food, my daily bread. I might not be able to pray that God would give me Armani suits to wear every single day, but I can pray that God would supply my clothing needs for me to wear. I may not be able to pray for a mansion on Missionary Ridge, but I can pray that God would provide shelter for me and my family. Do you understand what I'm saying here? The will of God is to be prayed for, not to be consumed on our own lust. This is true that it is true that sometimes we don't know the divine will of God and what He may be attempting to accomplish in the situation in the world around us or within us. That's why we can genuinely look at our motivations. If we are unclear, we can follow with the example of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now listen to me. I don't know everything that's going on when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't know what was going on when Jesus said, let this cup pass from you. I don't know what was going on in the divine inner workings of the Trinity and in its its impact on the sovereignty of God and the redemption of man. I don't know what's being said in that conversation, but what I can hear Jesus say, it's not my will, but thine be done. Not what I want, Father, but what, what you want, Father. Oh, what an instruction for us to follow in our prayer when we have looked so deep. And Listen, you can drive yourself crazy oftentimes looking into your motives as to why you want the things that you want, why you need the things that you do, why you do the things that you do. But I tell you this, when you come to the end of as honest as you can possibly be, you can put it on God, not my will, but thy will be done. When praying, look closely at your motives for your praying, is it for your will or His will? Fifthly, unbelieving praying. Matthew 21, 22. I'm trying to get quickly to the end. And whatsoever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have, receive it, and it will be yours. From these statements, I believe 
that there is the opposing corollary that is true. Prayers made in unbelief won't be answered. It has been said, half-hearted praying always goes home empty-handed. Let me say that again. Half-hearted praying goes home empty-handed. Preaching along these lines, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great preacher, said merely to bow the knee in formality, to go through a form of devotion in a careless or half-hearted manner is rather to mock God than to worship Him. It would be a terrible theme for contemplation to consider how much vain repetition and heartless prayer saying the Lord is wearied with from every Day to day, from, from day to day, I shudder at the thought of how many times I race through my prayers to get out the door. Oh, Lord, bless me, my four no more. You know, you know what I'm saying? I, not exactly. I don't pray that, but Lord, now lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul, soul to take, which is the most morbid thing. It should scare a kid to death to close his eyes and sleep. God is great. God is good. Let us thank you for the food. You know. Thank you for the grub, amen. We go through our repetitions so thoughtlessly. That's not praying in faith. Just going through the motions, just going down the list, checking the box, covering the bases. The Bible's clear that a relationship with God that is simply and, me and mechanically goes through the motions is empty and void of substance. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith it is impossible to please God for whosoever whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and He's a rewarder of those who seek Him, who seek Him diligently, some translations say. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Psalm 81, 10, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt's land. Open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. When it comes to opening our mouth in prayer, most of us is just a mumble. Instead of a wide open mouth in faith. Time and time again in the ministry of Jesus. You go back and look at the words of Jesus in the Gospels where He talks about belief. If you will believe, all things are possible. If you will believe, she can be healed. If you believe, you can move mountains. Have faith in God. I believe this lies at the heart of our prayerlessness. Once again, Wilbur Hurt struck right Shucked it right down to the cob when he said this. Prayer is an expression of faith. As long as a man believes, he'll pray. And when he quits believing, he quits praying. Probably a lot of our struggle with our prayer lives right about now and, and wanting to stick with a prayer life and wanting to have a prayer life is the fact that we don't really believe God. If we genuinely believe there was a God in heaven who every day leaned down from the throne of heaven and leaned his ear towards your prayer at your breakfast table, wouldn't you be there with bells on and whistles ready to have your things you want to ask God for in your life, for your family, for your health, for your strength, to be able to do the will of God? No, we are a people that are, that are, are so prayerless because we just flat don't believe. Most often we talk to God as if He's some small company CEO. 
hey, could you possibly, you know, change this? Could you, is there any way that you might do this? We talk to him like a, a, like a small town CEO or maybe a small town mayor. When we approach the throne of grace, you need to know that you have an audience with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of all the universe who has an ear inclined to your voice. Glory to God. You're not talking to a county judge. You're talking to the sovereign God of the universe who controls every blade of grass on this planet that is set like a pearl in the universe. I tell you, you've got an ear with the God of heaven when you pray. Pray believing. What are you trusting God for as a book came out years ago? How big is your God? Do you see Him as Paul saw Him who is able to do far more abundantly than what we could possibly ask or think according to the power that works within us? Are you earnestly in faith seeking Him to accomplish His will and purposes for your life? Believing praying, but unbelieving praying, going through the motions. It's like another branch in the roadway of obstructing our prayer relationship with God. Sixthly and finally, uncommitted praying. That brings us to the other passage I talked to you about in Luke 18. Luke 18, 1, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary for a while. He refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God or respect men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat down I will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cried to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith or, or better yet, this kind of faith on the earth? Will he find that kind of faith on the earth? This chapter opens up with the comment of the Lord to His disciples not to lose heart in praying, to not give up, to be persistent as I've done with the opposing, the previous points, the opposing corollary is true. When we are not committed in our praying, when we are not persistent in our praying, God is under no obligation to answer our prayer. I believe that once again, James bears this truth out. Listen to James 1, 5-8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generally to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith without, with no doubting, for one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Notice that double-minded man. He's on again, off again. He's back and forth. He's like the winds and the waves of the sea. There's no stability. You can't depend on Him. There's no commitment to prayer. He's bringing into focus this fellow just doesn't mean business with God. There's no urgency in this man. He's got no heart in it. Where by contrast, Jesus tells of this woman who with a single-minded, dogged determination pounds the door of this judge to give us justice. 
Jesus is not saying that, this, that God is like this exasperated judge that we've got to petition and petition and petition and so that God finally throws up His hands and gives us what He wants. No, Jesus is making contrast. Your heavenly Father's not like that judge. He loves you. He cares for you. Don't give up in praying. Continue to seek His face. Continue to bombard the throne of heaven. He's drawing that contrast. Don't faint in your praying. If you have cleared the way of hidden sin, of bitterness, of selfish motives, if you are in line with what you know from the Word of God and your heart is, being, is, is belonging to God and begging God for it, I tell you this, hold on to heaven and don't let go. Keep praying. Don't let giving up get in the way of God answering your prayer. Are you praying committedly? I know, in close, I know I've spoken about Charles Tinley many times over the past weeks. You know, several weeks ago I took one of his song titles as the title for our message. I've been just enamored with this servant of God and how God used him and, and making comparisons and in, in, in applications in my own life, but at the expense of being repetitious, I want to give you another story about Charles Tinley. Charles Tinley was in his study, and, and the way the story goes, the account goes, is that he was writing on a piece of paper some of his sermon notes in preparation for his message, and the window was open next to him, and the wind, a gust of wind blew through the room, and took a piece of paper that was laying on his desk and thrust it up against the lamp that was nearby that was giving the light for him to write by. And as that paper covered that lamp, it, it cast a shadow over what he was writing to the degree that he could hardly see what was going on. Pausing to consider the moment, he thought about the power of sin to darken the soul, but... I want to apply it to our prayer lives. And as, as he began to think about this, the, the lyrics poured from his pen. This is what he wrote. Nothing between, like pride or station, self or friends shall not intervene. Though it may cost me much tribulation, I am resolved there's nothing between. Nothing between my soul and my Savior so that His blessed face may be seen. Nothing preventing the least of His favor. Keep the way clear. There's nothing between. Clear the way of prayer. Ungodly praying, sinful praying, unforgiving praying, uncharitable praying, unscriptural praying, unbelieving praying, uncommitted praying. All these things lay us down obstacles, they clog the line. They retard our prayers to God. Get them out of the way. As we deal with sin and talk about sin, you may be here this morning. Listen, everything that I, everything that I preached about prayer has to do with the relationship of the child of God with the God of heaven. There's only one prayer that God hears from the sinner's heart and that is the prayer, God forgive me of my sins. I believe on Jesus 
I trust Him as my Savior. Forgive me. That's the prayer God hears from the sinful heart. If you're here this morning and, and you're not saved by God's grace, you need to come and make things right with God. There's a judgment day coming. There's a day when you'll be called to count for your sin and your rebellion against God. Make it right today. Repent and believe the Gospel. But otherwise, if you're here this morning and you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you know the subtlety of sin. You know its tentacles can reach into our lives. How that bitterness can be born from small conversations and, and slights of relationship. You know how pride and self can get mixed into our prayer. Listen, if you're wondering why our prayer life is not as effective as it should be, could it be that there's something in the way? Something blocking the path? It'd be best, whether at your seed or in this altar, make it right with God today. You know what it is. I don't have to expressly go down a grocery list of sins and, and, and things that are wrong. The Holy Spirit has a way of pointing that out. Make it right with God. We want to be a powerful church. We want God to move in this area. Listen, there are places in this area where, where communities going to hell by in a handbasket. Listen to me. We need to be a light for the gospel. A powerful light. But that powerful light is dimmed in relationship to our prayer life. If we don't have the prayer life that we ought to, if we can't communicate, if we can't get a hold of heaven, we need God's power to do what, we, what is birthed in my heart, what is birthed in the heart of this place here to reach the community with the gospel. We need to have effective prayer life. And these things can stand in the way. Clearing the way to pray. Let's all stand to our feet. As we come to a song of invitation, every head bowed, every eye closed. Listen, only you know what God spoke to you about. I told you God dealt, God rang my bell this morning in putting this together and, and putting these thoughts down. I tell you there are things that I want to make right. I want to get, get right in my own heart and life. I... Things, uh, uh, slights and things that have been said and done to me that need to be dealt with and put away for good. I wonder, is it the same with you? Make things right with God. I want us to have effective prayer lives. And the only way to do that is to clear the path. Clear the way to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. I thank you for the Lord Jesus. And God, I pray that our example would be His. Not my will, but your be done. And God, I pray you would help us to clear the path. We have not the strength to do it. We have the strength to admit it, admit there's something wrong, but we are powerless to do anything about it. God, come in to our lives. And help us with our motives. Cleanse us of our sin. God, cut the, cut the chains. Cut the binds of sin in people's lives. God, soothe and cure the bitternesses of our hearts. God, work in our lives. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. I believe it's hymn 141 in your hymn book there, maybe in front of you. Cleanse me. Cleanse me. You probably know these lyrics. Let's sing one, maybe two uh, verses of invitation and give you a chance to respond whether at your seat or in this altar. You do business with God. Don't miss God. God's here this morning. God's dealing with hearts. Don't miss God today.